0: Welcome to the Oakcrest Podcast Channel. Oakcrest School in Vienna, Virginia, challenges girls in grades 6 to 12 to develop their intellect, character, faith, and leadership potential to thrive in college and throughout their lives. On today's podcast, English teacher Stephanie Passero talks about why good literature is so crucial in forming our daughters' hearts and minds and how to encourage in them a love for reading good books. This subject is quite dear to me. Um, and I wrote it all down because it's so important to me. I didn't wa- I wanted to make sure I avoided um, tangents and anecdotes, which is my tendency. Not that I don't have anecdotes planned, but they're like Some time ago, uh, I asked, two months ago maybe, I asked Carrie Collins to mention her as a about the importance of talking to her daughters about the books they read for pleasure. I must have been passionate when I talked about it because she asked me to give this talk yeah. to you. During back-to-school nights, my elevator pitch on good books that I usually give paraphrases higher. And higher on the there, claiming that an English teacher's job is to teach her students good taste. I'm not going to lie. Students or girls are having bad taste. I'm just going to talk to you today about good books. So great. Say good. I often read books about books, and I want to share my favorite pieces of advice I've gathered over the years that have helped me as a teacher, as a reader, and as a spiritual mother to my godson, niece, and nephews. It's difficult to keep up with the avalanche of modern teen and pre teen literature. It's impractical for us to try to read everything our daughters want to read before they can get to it. So, one approach is to intervene early, and inundate her with good stories while she's in grammar stage. Vegan Warrior, professor of religious studies at the University of Virginia, loves fairy tales, and wrote a book called Tending the Heart of Virtue on the importance of fairy tales uh, for children. He says when his children stopped letting him read fairy tales aloud to them, he decided to teach fairy tales to his college students. He found these stories have a great impact on his students, even though he had children in mind when he wrote Tending the Heart of Virtue. In it he has a great summary of the moral imagination. He says, The moral imagination is the very process. So it's a process, not uh, not a feature by which the self makes the metaphors out of images collected by experience, and then employs these metaphors to find moral correspondences in experience. Jonathan Jones, the online magazine of First Things, also adds that moral imagination is the proper ordering of the soul. Humans are connected with the sacramental order of creation and can draw true analogies from lived experiences, which can be interpreted through our imagination. This means our moral imagination is active and is proper exercise, so it's not, as like Florian says, atrophy, like a muscle that's not used. The richness or poverty of the moral imagination depends on the richness or poverty of experience. The parents, as the primary teachers of their children, provide these early experiences for them, as do the stories they introduce to their children. Stories, particularly fairy tales, allow the reader to, as Borian says in Defending the Heart of Virtue, imagine herself in the place of heroes and heroines of other worlds, experiencing the risks taken without having to endure all the consequences of failure, but still receiving the lessons. The child having read these stories will have a sharpened moral imagination. These stories offer powerful images of good and evil and show our children how to love through experiences and images they can interpret in the real world. And so these stories fill our children up with experiences that they can draw from when they create. So, as you know, it's vital to fill our children up with good stories that will ignite their imagination. Gorian the says, When the moral imagination is awake, the virtues come to life. I would like to say they're not just for children, for the immature. In his essay on three ways of writing for children, C.S. Lewis addresses the accusation that fairy tales are some form of escapism. He says the escapism to be wary of is in realism that is so close to school life, the child returns to the real world discontented. Lewis calls those types of stories flattering to the ego. The pleasure consists in picturing oneself in the object of admiration, while the fairy tale arouses the reader's longing for he knows not what. Now, I'm quoting Lewis here. I'm going to change all the keys to sheets. because. because because because." Uh, He says, it stirs her with a sense of something beyond her reach. and gives new dimension of depth. She does not despise the real woods because she has read an enchanted wood. The reading makes all real woods a little enchanting. The child reading the type of book Lewis calls Escapism desires success and is unhappy once the book is finished because she cannot have it. The child reading the fairy tale is happy for the very fact of desire food. Fairy tales have the power to awaken our minds to the beauty of the world, while the more trivial novel falsely makes us unhappy with the real world. Now, those who may have read for King's Blue Fairy Book or any of her colors from that series, Blue Fairy Book, the Red Fairy Book, and Orange Fairy Book, um, may object to the violence of the original fairy tales. I must admit that when I was reading the story of Prince Hyacinth to my niece aloud, I edited a scene where the princess cuts off a bit of her finger to complete a ladder in order to go save <laughs> Prince Hyacinth. I didn't have the courage to read that whole scene to her. However, there is nothing to fear about inadvertently introducing some version of the boogeyman to your daughters. G. K. Chesterton wrote an essay called The Red Angel. All of these works that I've referencing, by the way, I have on the list back here. In the Red Angel, G.K. Chesterton says that, um, or he asserts, that we do not give children the boogeyman through fairy tales. He calls it the bogey, but I'm not English, so I'm going to say the <laughs> Fairy tales do not give children the boogeyman. What fairy tales give the child is her first clear idea of the possible defeat of the boogeyman. Chesterton says that the baby has known the dragon intimately ever since she had imagination. What fairy tales provide for her is a St. George to kill the dragon. So far, I've shared some things that I've read that are good reminders for us with small or intermediate age children, but I must admit I had our teenage daughters in mind, as I prepared to speak to you today. When our children are younger, they're more open to our opinions. If mom and dad say a book is good, they're willing to read it. Joy. Better still, they curl up with mom and dad and read good books with family, bolsters a fondness for beauty, which they cannot help but keep throughout their lives. It is when our girls reach the teen years that they tend to close the door on our suggestions. They want the privacy to discover good books on their own. It is this privacy that we need to be wary of. It's not practical to attempt to read every book your daughter intends to devour. Some books have so many volumes in a series it's nearly impossible to keep up. But it is important to have conversations with your daughters about the books she chooses to read for pleasure. As what captivates her, thrills her, moves her, takes hold of her. What is it about the books she chooses to read that enrich her through its quality, enchants her through its depth, vitality, truthfulness? What convinces her through inherent logic and elevates her through the beauty of its poetic content? Now, most of these questions I've adapted from Peter de Mosebrandt's book, Aesthetics. There are two bottoms of this work. The first talks about beauty on all levels, including objectivity. The objectivity of beauty, its value, its form, um, its role in the senses. The second volume applies von Melbren's philosophy of beauty to the arts. I recommend this book to anyone who, like me, cannot define beauty, but they know it when they see it. It is important not to be ironic when asking your daughter about a book she is reading, especially if you have concerns about it. She may see through our veiled derision and we narrow our eyes at a paranormal romance number three of the series and chidingly sneer. What else would you like that? You do not want to crush her. Honestly, find out what she attracted to in this book. You do not want your daughter to feel as if she has to hide her tastes from you or feel ashamed of them. We want to inspire our daughters. In Landscape of Dragons, Another book, Advocating Fairy Tales, Michael O'Brien has valid concerns about inverted morals, the offensive, and the downright profane and irrelevant ugliness of many modern books and films targeting our youth. He wrote this book in 1998. Yes, this frightening and overwhelming the avenues in which your daughter is approached with influences, and it is tempting to give up trying to stay on top of what she is reading and watching. Michael O'Brien warns us not to dismiss the battle for your daughter's soul. The things she reads does form us, they do form us. Similarly, it is unrealistic and ineffective to make everything released after 1960 off limits. O'Brien says we must remember that we are in a spiritual words God permits this struggle, the struggle of temptation, in order to strengthen us, to teach us to rely more completely on him. And less on our own limited strengths. Construct us who draws ultimately to himself. In an article by Jessica Putin Wilson called "Reading to See the Bones of Things," she summarizes an idea about um, two forms of self-knowledge concerning the idol versus the icon. And she's talking about literature. And she's talking about the idol versus the icon. Um, the icon being the sacramental order we're all connected to. The kind of book that's like an idol. The idol looks into a mirror and never sees past itself. The only view she sees is self. The icon gazes at the person and reveals to her who she is in God's eyes rather than through her own. It both teaches the gaze how to see and shows the gazer how to venerate the unseen viewer. Uh, This is, she's talking probably about Dante and Plannery O'Connor, where the reading is very purgatorial. When you read Dante or Plannery O'Connor, or books like that, the repulsive characters in those works seem so far away from us, but in the end, we realize that we share many of those faults with those characters. Reading the work becomes the examination of conscience, a moment of grace that allows us as readers to read re-eval- that, reevaluate our own shortcomings, now, in that article, Putin Wilson is speaking of the great books. This does not mean we only have to read books from the literary canon. It is fine just to read a good book. You don't have to read all the great ones. Here are some practical suggestions on bringing good books into your daughter's life. In addition to sending her to books to astrologers <laughs> Read them you may already read a bedtime story as a family, or maybe you try to read together so many days a week. Reading aloud together is a beautiful way to bond and teach. When I introduce Anthony Green Gables to sixth graders, they often lack the stamina to start the book on their own. The language is gorgeous and with nature imagery that sounds like a romantic poem instead of prose. Now you and I as adults know it's beautiful, but a child grows weary during the most beautiful. Passages about grass. <laughs> <laughs> and lake. I always begin that book by reading aloud to girls. By the time we're introduced to our heroine, captivated. Megan Cox Burden speaks of the importance of reading aloud in her book, *The Enchanted Hour*. She mentions an opportunity she had during her research to see a surviving volume of fairy tales, Charles Breaux from 1695. This book was a gift for the teenage niece of William 14. Begging Cuthbert noticed that in the margins for the tale Little Red Riding Hood, were written directions near the dialogue of the wolf when he says, "The better to eat you with." The tiny handwriting says, "This is translated from the French." These words should be said in a loud voice to make the child afraid that the wolf will eat him. These stories were intended to be read aloud. There is a nonfiction book called *The Reading Box* by Alice Osma. Alice is the daughter of a single father, a school librarian with whom she formed a pack, I believe of her own initiative, when she was nine years old, to read aloud with her father every day for at least 10 minutes for a year. She and her father called it the streak. Not only did they succeed in reading aloud together every day for a year, but they kept the streak going until Alice was 18 years old. There were times when they would have to wake up extra early to fit in their reading time or later years in Alice without her friends who'd call her father and have him read to her over the phone. If they were angry at each other, they would still read. In the closing pages of her book, Alice describes in a sort of epilogue what her father is doing now in his retirement, sitting on the board book bird watching, she refers to her father as a superhero. Many readers are attracted to book and reading challenges. I recommend you Discourage your daughter from reading challenges that promote mere quantity as an accomplishment. One really good book that may take ages to read is worth more than a stack of novels that feel empty, but are quick reads. Challenge her instead to read for pleasure every day. I myself have taken on this challenge just a month ago because poetically, English teachers rarely have time to read for pleasure, at least during the school year. We yearn for our favorites. We're growing list to read books. And while preparing for this talk, I realized that I need to read for pleasure as well, and not just during vacation. So, inspired by the reading promise, I made a promise with myself to read something for pleasure, not a school book, even though those are a delight to me. So, I'm going to read for pleasure for at least ten minutes a day. So I started a reading journal, in which I marked days in the month that I read for pleasure. To get the streak going. haven't missed it. I color-coded it. Most of the entries are in pink, which is the 10 to 20 minute range. And even though all I seem to have time for is 10 minutes a day of reading for pleasure, I already feel so much more refreshed than I usually do. So another suggestion for the teen who feels too awkward to read aloud with their parents, there is a fine bond you can form with your daughter in a book club for two. Perhaps you and your daughter can choose a mother-daughter read or a father-daughter read or family read and discuss the book over dinner. You can even take her out to lunch or a picnic at the park. You can make it special and important that you have this shared experience of the book. Talk about it. It's not necessary to only discuss the book if you finish it. Perhaps it will take four months to read a book. This means you can meet with your daughter four times at a picnic, or a cafe, or the living room, and discuss this book together. Another way to share books with your children is audiobooks. I once had a student who knew just about every Charles Dickens novel and talk about the books with me. but this student was in seventh grade at the time. She didn't have a full understanding about Dickens' work, but I was impressed and puzzled how a seventh grader could know so many books by this author, who takes most students some time and stamina to appreciate. I assumed she watched film adaptations. She later told me that her family drives to Canada every summer to visit relatives. And for as long as she could remember, her parents would play an audiobook in the car, Charles Dickens' novel, filling her imagination with beautiful prose, and she carries that experience with her to this day as an adult. I believe she can. <laughs> <laughs> I want to share one last anecdote um, before I get into some suggestions for books. This one is the support of writing directly into the books we read. Lee Lowe, I'm going to keep saying her name Lee Lowe because they're the Lee Lowe and Cheryl Lowe. I'm not talking about Lee Lowe in Stitch. And Lee Lowe is the daughter-in-law of Cheryl Lowe, the founder of Memorial Press and Highlands Latin School. Lowe has known her mother-in-law since she was 18 and treasures her mother-in-law's book suggestions, which she discusses in her article, Why to Mark a Book, which I found in the Classical Teacher magazine Ginny Bowles gave to me a couple of years ago. Cheryl Lowe has already passed away, but Lee Lowe has gifted many of Cheryl's books through her father-in-law. Lee noticed markings in all of her mother-in-law's books, which gave her more insight to Cheryl's reactions to these books. Marking books will visually demonstrate contemplation. It will help you quickly find the quotes that are meaningful to you, your favorite quotes. It also personalizes the experience, which is those um, point. She says that it made it possible for her children to have a conversation with their grandmother because she took a pen and she read. In Cheryl Lowe's copy of Charlotte's Web, Assuming we all know the events of the final chapter of Charlotte's uh <laughs> Lilo's mother in law wrote in the final chapter Life is full of hard things, but we can strive to help each other and raise ourselves to nobility. Charlotte knew all along she wouldn't survive the fall season, but she helped the Wilbur enjoy what she could not. Lilo says that we mark her books. When we mark our books we unlike charlotte can live beyond our season we can continue to speak to those we love definitely we all love good books for ourselves and for our daughters and so i brought along many suggestions there are lists i have copied for you that are available on this talk on that back table um, which are compiled by some of my favorite books about books <clears throat> so mortimer adler and Charles Van Doren's How to Read a Book is more fun for an adult to read. I would really recommend it for our girls, and even for adults, it's really not that fun to read. <laughs> but it's one of my favorite books. Norma Adler is an expert on philosophy. I am not an expert on philosophy. He convinced me that you have to read philosophy you know philosophy um, to be able to read well. And I can't get that philosophy it either, so he has many other Ways to explain that. Anyway, I love that book. He has a list in the back um, of suggestions to read. These are all the great books. So, um, again, not really for our girls right now, but still a great book to have in the library. Landscape with Dragons by Michael O'Brien. Okay. Um, let's go to this book. Michael O'Brien. Teaches the necessity, like he kind of reiterates with Lewis and Chester were talking about the necessity of a definitive good and evil in children's lives. So they're not too relativistic when it comes to villains, right? Not um well he, I feel bad about him. He it's because he was wrong that he does still wrong. <coughs> Sorry. And anyway, so uh good and evil. And I have to warn you though that all of our favorites in here takes to task. There are some of my favorite books and movies in here in Springfield, but it also, out of all my suggestions, has the most extensive suggestions of books. So it was compiled by the staff of Bethlehem Books, and it is pages and pages um, of books suggestions, particularly great for nine to ten-year-olds. So if you have uh, children in that age, age range, this would be a good one for you to pick up. Um copies of the book, uh, I mentioned already The Enchanted Hour by Megan Cox Gordon, she explains the benefits in this book of reading to children aloud. and Her suggestions of books um, are thoughtfully compiled with the intention of reading aloud with your children. Uh, the next book, uh, next book is second to last list is How to Read Your Way to Heaven. This I use just for the list because it's great spiritual reading. Uh, if you've not seen this book, it's really a four year plan on reading the Catechism, the Bible, and many spiritual classics that we just haven't gotten around to reading that Christians should read. I did not, yeah, purchase this book with a 10 easy four year plan, but if I had used the four year plan, I would have read all those things <laughs> by now, but it's okay. I'm using the list one at a time. Um, anyway, the, the list in the back is gathered from contributors like Dan Burke, Father John Cosby, Father Mark Father Tim Gallagher, Peter Krupp, so lots of great um, authors and sources, contributors to that. Um, I made copies of my own personal edition for you, so you'll see my markings in there and I've exposed which books I've read or wanted to read or gave them on. Finally, the last list is likely to be the one you and your daughter will be most interested in. I gathered some favorite reads from Oprah's faculty and staff. I asked our faculty and staff to provide files of books they read again and again for pleasure. I compiled this list and attached it to a copy of Oprah's Enrichment List as well. Now the Enrichment List is available online, but there's just something about having a list in your hands. That you can check off and mark up. and just focus. this. Nice. <laughs> now this is something also, this list there's something that can inspire girls to keep wanting more. One final and practical thought when choosing to read what to read next with your daughter. Do not make the mistake I know I tend to make when I go to the library and check out a large stack of books. Is when one is finished, then really more. I'm not sure why but when I have a large stack of books I tend to read a little of each one and not finish any. One. Sort of like my stomach is full, but my eyes are so hungry. One is enough for now. Thank you. So, we do have time for questions. If anybody has questions they'd like to ask, if they're not for questions. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Can you tell us two of your favorite books when you were oh, in high school? Yes. When you were in high school? When I was in high school, that's a different story. I had terrible taste in high oh, <laughs> school. Yes. I liked the bell jar and I wouldn't touch the bell wow. jar now. It's just, um, yeah, I liked that, but I also remember in high school, I I would read, you know, I was just so lost. I didn't have book suggestions or anything like that, we didn't have good reads. I didn't know if you click on something, you can get what's next. I just, um, I, yeah, Oprah's Book Club, I read those books. And then I would, you know, books that had great covers. And then, but I always just was always reading something. And so um, I remember the first time I really changed my taste because I was always reading something um, was when I read Jane Eyre. And then after that, other books just didn't seem as good. They didn't compare. And so I was attracted more to the better books and I left all my teen novels online. Um what about graphic novels? They've kind of taken over a little bit and I've seen some of like Saint graphic novels and they now have like a graphic novel Bible or graphic novel. novel. Yeah. So and I've seen different opinions. Some people are like, Oh well it encourages kids to start reading when they're younger, but yeah, I mean, I think anything that is good for fluidity. I mean, sure, but then won't well, they only want those books, and then they don't have interest? Reading a lot, I think, is best to get through that stamina. Um, and like people say, you know, there's always a balanced diet, but it tends to be we mostly have the ones we want, I and mean, one good one should be the other way around. Um, but I'm not an expert in graphic novels. I will warn you though that books like manga and things like that can have some pretty alarming awesome, content. So make sure you check the back of those books because they're rated. Just because it's cartoony doesn't mean that it's clean. They're they're rated on the back of the books. We have an issue with the girls just rereading. re-reading That's and good if they reread, <laughs> but they reread books that I would like to graphic novels or the ones that are like below their to so kind of back to those events. they over. I would awesome. love if they read over. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, like, simple TV. That's that uh, uh, I think they find comfort in because they don't provide the challenge. And how do we kind of encourage them? Or is that okay just to let them well, do that on their own? I mean, always keep an eye on what they're reading and why are they rereading it? What is it that they like about it? Because if it's a hard-looking romance, and they're 15, you might want to find out why they're rereading that book. But if it's just a book that you're not satisfied, you know, if it's just empty, and you want them to have more, um, yeah, find out what they like about that book, and then find a book that you know is better that might suit their tastes, and read it together. Or, I like that audiobook idea from that student, because they're trapped in the car, and they can't they know where to go. Um, but um, that would be my suggestion, that, uh, just, just start them with something else that you know is similar to their taste. Find out why they like this book, what's similar to their taste, and then find something better or something that will open them up a little more to imagination. I have maybe a similar question. Maybe it's the same question. So, my daughter had a, um, we to we it together every night since she was a baby. And was, I loved that she had this. High tolerance for stuff that was way above that she obviously couldn't read it herself. But you know, mysteries and I mean, mythology and beautiful stories. And then she got to a point. Somebody introduced her to Percy Jackson, which is so. It's I thought, oh well, it's mythology. But then I really I looked at it and I realized that, it, that the language was kind of snarky and. And um, I remember asking a woman at a bookstore in the town where we lived. I, I said, "You know, I'm, I'm really worried because she's—it's it's like she's slipped, and now she only wants to read this stuff that has this certain tone, and it doesn't have the same kind of beauty that some of the other books we had read to that point had. And that's those are the books that she rereads and rereads, mm-hmm. and then somebody introduced her to Diary of a Wimpy Kid. <laughs> this, is, this is a kid who read all the Harry Potter books in the second grade and loved." You know, and then my fear was, if it's not fantastic and it's not mythological, she'll never be able to sit through it. And then I thought, but she's sitting through this, why limited, it seems like such a, you know, not an edifying story. So, I'm battling, I'm not sure what question I think. My, so, I, how do you get through the get challenge her back on track. of, re, 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 re-reading okay, but, but to, to continue to, to try to have the stamina to read those books that, that that might be a little more challenging on your own, like not just for class, but on your own and, and enjoy them. even though they're not fast paced, and you're not curious, and you don't have fabulous, fantastical, mythical characters, right? So um, a good book that I think that's a perfect candidate for the mother daughter book club, right? Where it's something special, especially if you have multiple kids. She's the only one who gets to. Um, and when you have a deadline too, um, I know I, I run two booklets, and if I didn't have the deadlines, I wouldn't have read half these books that I read. Um, there's just no time, but you make time all of a sudden. So when there's a deadline, you make time, and you make it joyful, not just, here's this thing that you're going to do, we're going to get you back on track. Um, <laughs> because I, I can see how disheartening that would be. Uh, and and you, want, you want her to have the same joy in something beautiful, but it takes a long time to get there, too, right? You can, it's just not the fondness, though, for those beautiful things that you read when you were young. That's the whole point of the grammar stage, uh, or having us memorize poems in the grammar stage, or the fondness for those works in the grammar stage. In sixth grade, the first three minutes of my class, every single day, for middle schoolers, I say, Who wrote John Key? Who wrote Anna Karenna? Who wrote Leo Tolson? I mean, who wrote, um, you know, is Miserables, they don't know anything about these books, but they start memorizing the, the authors. And then all of a sudden they get excited when they see it. So then they get to high school, they're like, oh, this guy, I heard you that, And that's enough to get them into it, as long as they have someone that can just get them started. So get her started on something, like pick something that maybe that you know is beautiful, but maybe can that would attract her, you know her tastes. And then get her started, and maybe, yeah, once a month, you know, 50 pages once a month, talk about that, and you'll find, um, you'll be surprised at the things that you talk about. So. so I love the list of the teachers, um, because they're all so special. Um, I just have a suggestion, if you could maybe add some of the teachers that are not here anymore, that are retired, because I was like, oh, oh, you know, what, um, Hanson, what, what's her favorite book, because I want to read whatever she reads, you yeah. know. So, so uh, yes, I, I keeps your spirit Yeah, and I think that, that list will grow. The list, I believe, we're going to post online, but I can we can always update it because I did send that email out two days ago, <laughs> and that's just who could reply to me. So I know there's a lot of um, teachers and staff that want to add to the list or add more books to the list. And it's funny, just when you talk about books, especially in Humanities Department or Oakgrass, it's just, we all just start talking about all these books that are favorites, and the list grows. I remember I was typing um, Mrs. Lanzalotti's um, <laughs> I was typing her favorite books and I said, what, what's your favorite books? And she just started growing, 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 and then she had more the me on there. So, um, yes, thank you for that. I, I think I will update that one. Um, you, you partially answered this question with, um, with the other comments, but how do you Balance or how do you encourage when your daughter when the reading required reading list is already so extensive and heavy? And right. I mean, look, so much time is taking just getting through, just getting through, and those. so much annotation and thought mm-hmm. that when it comes time to read something for pleasure, yeah, it's mm-hmm. going to be an, an easy read because they mm-hmm. just don't want to go through that again. Right. And you can have easy reads that I mean, simple doesn't mean it's not a good book. I, Love the secret garden. It's beautiful. I read that when I was in middle school and I didn't I mean, I thought it was cool. I liked the story, and there's a movie that's sort of accurate, but it's a beautiful movie too. And then when I read it as an adult, every child should go to a botanical garden because it's just this the soul that's in a garden. I didn't see that when I was a five. So just getting um So a simple book, maybe even a book they read as a child and they think, well, it's done, I already read The Chronicles of Narnia. I already read them twice. My nephew and I, that's that's the only thing we read is is that series because he's kind of a reluctant reader. And so it's what he knows, and so we'll just read The Chronicles of Narnia again. Um, So a simple book is fine if she's overloaded. And also 20 pages at a time is fine, right? It doesn't have to be every single day. Um, The every single day reading challenge, is mostly for the girl who wants to read the stack of books and watch it grow and not really care if it's adding or taking anything away from her. She just wants to see the stack grow. For that child, I suggest the reading child we read every day. Um, I your question. <laughs> um, so I found, I obviously have more free time, but I found that when I read books, I read too many pages, mm. and then like, I get mixed up. Like what happened when? Oh, you you read too quickly. Yeah. Do you ever read aloud to yourself? No. Fourth grade. Fourth. fourth grade. I started reading aloud to myself when I was in third or fourth grade. Um, you mm-hmm. might want to do that if, you, if you're embarrassed to do that. You can do it. Um, in your own. Um But do you? Um, yeah. If you if there's something that you're not sure of, you always go back and reread, and also a pencil and writing down what your question is. any other... Um, gonna... All right. So on the table over here, I have lists from all those books I mentioned, as well as a list of books I mentioned in my that refers mentioned in my talk, but not necessarily has a list of books to suggest from. And um, thank you so much for coming thank you so much Stephanie and again thanks to everybody that um, came out here today and so next month um, on February the 17th our series continues the presentation by Vicki Bigliano and she's an AP art history teacher here and interior designer so I don't know what she's going to cook up for us but it's going to be spectacular I know and then um as you're also well aware, parent partnership plays a primary importance in our view of uh, our education. So, um, today's presentation is one of over 40 events that we're offering for parents between January 1st and the end of May. And you may have received this flyer, additional flyers over here. Um, and I would just invite you to go ahead and sit down with your calendar and really, you know, be deliberate, kind of, and planning out our own education, uh, because we have to continue learning um, all of our lives, right? And um, I think that we all here is such high quality that um, you would do that and you would put it on your calendar, and you would feel just um, completely enriched by coming here. So um, I know when I was a young mom and I had many young children at home, it was very hard for me to get out of the house, but anytime I came to one of these events, I always was so grateful that I had done it. So um, much easier for me now because I have to walk from there to here to get to these presentations. But um, I, I'm sure you'll you'll find the same if you make that effort. So I hope you have a great rest of the day. We do have tea remaining and um, cookies remaining, and it's a great opportunity to share your books, your favorite books, with one another, and what your own daughters. Uh, I've especially loved even being here. So thank you for coming.